Today's episode of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by White People Food, bringing you sandwiches and potato salad with mustard since 1869, and strip malls disguising America's criminal underworld since 1956. We are live, bird up, Gregory. Friday, February twenty second, the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. How do you feel? Feeling, feeling good. You look strong. You look strong to quite strong. That's what I was going for. Yeah. Uh, well, you don't look strong, but you look <laughs> healthy. In any case. Um, um. All right. Let's let's dive right in. I I I'm gonna. Lead us in a little bit. A special degenerate week. A historic degenerate week. When we get to the degenerate champion of the week, we're going to have a lot to talk about. But let's not violate the progression here. We're going to start in boring macroeconomics, okay? Macroeconomics corner. Not a whole lot of news from that part of the world this week. But the Fed today, today? Yes, in the body of Jerome Powell, uh, says the financial system is safer than before the Great Recession. Because of, I guess, the countermeasures that were put in place when this financial crisis happened in 2008, 2009, Robert, do you buy what Jerome is selling? Not a goddamn chance. Jerry, don't lie to me, Jerry. Fuck no, Jerry. (laughs) Here's, Here's the simple truth about this. Lay it on me, brother. Back in December, Jerry comes out and says, hey, we're going to do some stuff, and the market absolutely tanks. And Geraldo. Then he's like, yeah, Geraldo. Yeah, and then he's like, oh, just kidding, I didn't mean any of that. Basically, what this tells me is, the markets have Jerry's balls in a vice grip. <laughs> you cannot trust what this man's telling you, because he's telling you what the market wants to hear. Sure, so let's, let's clarify. You're saying, when it seemed like this would be a multi-period campaign of tightening rates. He keeps going. This year, he goes for it, and immediate negative reaction Absolutely. from the cabal, Absolutely. the market cabal. The worst December since God knows when. So, strong backpedal. Absolutely. Proves he's not at all an independent authority. Absolutely. So, this is all just uh, some exercise and grandiose horse whispering. He's just trying to soothe the markets. Is this his way of unofficially signaling like, Hey, uh, the pause is real and we're going to keep the pause going on, on the one hand. Yes. But then you hear the other fed governors come out and say, they still want to reduce the size of their balance sheet. So it's sort of the fed in a way is telling us both sides of the story. They need to shrink the size of the balance sheet, but just kidding, we're not going to raise rates. Well, Fair enough. Well, fucking pick one. <laughs> um, well, here's the other thing, right? So, a lot is made about the complexity of the macroeconomy. Our special sponsors last week, Modern Macroeconomics and General Macroeconomics, seem complicated, right, at the end of the day. But I want to ask you this, because you're convinced you could be an NFL quarterback. Absolutely. Is being the Fed chairman really so hard? Yeah, you raise the rates or you lower the rates in response to whatever. That's the only lever you have. 
You want to raise the rates to prevent inflation. You want to lower the rates to stimulate the economy. What else do you need to know? I feel like I could do that job while being an NFL quarterback. <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is the markets know what the Fed is going to do long before it does it. So, of course. I mean, you have a full team around you. You have, it's not like Jerome in and of himself is making up this decision. So he's like, just middle management. Absolutely. He's the guy who delivers the, the speech. And apparently he's very bad at it. From yeah, I don't think he has a certain command about him. He's good ahead of hair. No, he, he, he has a good head of hair and he has a good command about him. But And his name's Jerome and he's white. That's special. Yeah, but his horse whispers, it, it, it lacks credibility. It's true. There's not a lot of strength behind it. Yeah. All right. Should we leave... Should we leave the macroeconomics yeah, into the businesses? Absolutely. All right. Let's lead it off with, uh, really, I would call it, you know, we've characterized GE as your grandfather's favorite stock. This one, I don't even say it's your grandfather's favorite stock. I'm going to reach back into the 19th century and talk about your great-grandfather's favorite stock, Kraft Heinz. The mega ketchup conglomerate <laughs> is driving off a cliff in first gear. Today, writes down the value of the Kraft Oscar Mayer merger by 15 bills. Special. Not only that, you want to say something about that? No, I mean, when I saw this, I was surprised to find out ketchup was worth 15 bills. <laughs> Who the hell is eating ketchup? Oh, oh, by the way, it's not the ketchup. <laughs> ketchup owns bologna and mac and cheese, and said so bologna and mac and cheese are worth $15 billion <laughs> less than they were before, which means they were worth even more. Oh, great point. Sorry, carry on. On top of that, they have to disclose, an, well, they don't have to, but they do. They disclose an SEC investigation into accounting fraud. They slash their dividend. This is a degenerate trifecta, okay? It became clear that this 20th century hot dog slathering titan was distorting EBITDA growth by savaging costs in an unsustainable fashion. Which I guess we all, everyone kind of knew, right? There was this like laudatory praise that Kraft Heinz was like cost cutting to the max and it became actually like a blueprint for like high cost infrastructure companies. But let me ask you this, as a matter of investor relations, does this actually show wisdom on the part of the management team? Because they, they basically have like three things that are horrible that they need to do. But wisdom in that they did them all at once to just maximize the pain up front and then maybe repair their credibility over time? In in theory, yes. Mm -hmm. I just think you should have gone about it the way that GE did by having a new CEO do it. Yeah, it's got to come on the heels of regime change. That's what they missed. Absolutely. Because Mm -hmm. if it's the guy who was in charge of that fraud, but he says, hey, my bad, I might have done something fraudulent. It's like... You've already lost credibility. It is a binary. The accounting fraud. So for perspective, 25 million of essentially point shaving in the accounting gray area, definitely fraud, but they do 11 billion of procurement a year. So on the scale of things, it seems like a venial sin, menial sin, but to your point, it's big enough. Accounting fraud's a binary. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's enough to call into question everything that comes out of this man's mouth. So it was close, right? The, they, the alley-oop would have been, you do all these things and announce wholesale regime change. Absolutely. In that case, I'd, I would have been along 
long uh, Kraft Heinz holder. But until that happens, no. Uh, to me, fraud is one of those things that's very difficult for a company to come back from. Well, it's it's just a multi-year, multi-year slog. Absolutely. Before you get a truth-telling CEO, a la our friend Larry Culp at GE, the, the rebuilding process can't begin. Of course, yeah. Separately, and this is the larger question, I think, Roberta. Are we finally prepared to throw out... I think there's an orthodoxy that if you are a big incumbent business with basically a 20th century economic model that consolidating and finding synergies uh, within a business that has secular declines. We're talking about ketchup, preserved meats, mustard, uh, preservative laden mac and cheese, right? There seems to be a wisdom within graduate business schools, undergraduate business schools, that if you are an incumbent, the way to weather existential change is to consolidate, but I think that's a crack of shit. What do you think? I would agree for the most part. You will periodically find an example of a company who can change with the times, but the vast majority of examples in the last several years have proved that to be the case. I'm thinking Coca-Cola, I'm thinking Dow DuPont, I'm thinking, frankly, most staples that are well and honestly uh, arguably the worst merger of all time aol time warner aol time warner here's some other ones i want to throw at you maybe not uh in the merger realm but our friends at ge who we've talked a lot about diversifying into financial services essentially at one point in time no business going in that ain't no business going there stick with the turbines separately IBM, incumbent, hardware titan, they're trying to get into the cloud, but we all know no, they're no. making that shit up. This is, I think, a new golden rule for our degenerate followers out there. And by the way, hot update, we have 18 unique listeners up 7,000, just kidding, seven people week over week. But on a, on a base <laughs> of uh, 11, that's a substantial It's a percent. hefty percentage yeah. increase. But there's a new golden rule, I think, which is... If you're in a position where you think a large incumbent buying another established company is actually going to create quote-unquote synergies and cost-effectiveness that over the long term will promote earnings growth... You short the hell out of them. Short the goddamn hell out of it. But, Robert, I do think you have... There are rare cases, rare unicorns where this doesn't happen. But let's go back. Great example, Dow DuPont. Dow DuPont. They merge in 2017. Nye, but two years later, they are now divesting it into three independent companies. In, in a scenario like that, I actually have to respect the fact that they acknowledge, hey, this was a failure. Right. Or in the case of Kraft Heinz, that merger happened in 2015. Here we are, not even four years later, and they're writing off $15 billion of value. Ripping the Band-Aid clean off. Yeah. Yeah. So... What I'm getting at is, ultimately, there's a poison pill in all of this, I think, which is, if you're an established company that has orthodoxies that reach back, in the case of Heinz, into the 1870s, Robert, how many presidents can you name from the 1870s? 
There's exactly. <laughs> exactly my point. This is Brotherford B. Hay shit we're talking about here. Companies like that have orthodoxies that make them fundamentally unsuited to see, one, existential change, if they could ever weather it in the first place. But their response to existential change, in the case of ketchup, you is to combine down. with baloney. You double down. Double down on bad ideas. And here we are. Yeah. New golden rule for our friends. All right. Let's move on to the tech unicorn universe. The tech unicorn IPO filing bonanza reaches a fever pitch. Pinterest and Lyft are entering the fray this year, joining presumably Slack and Uber as the new angels of equity in 2019. Robert. Yeah. Explain to me. What is a Pinterest, and why is it valued at $12 billion when Lyft is valued at a mere $15 billion? As best as, best as I understand it, a Pinterest is some sort of <laughs> picture and recipe sharing platform, I think. Social media. It involves social media and women, sure. so far as I can tell. Yeah. And these women are sharing pictures and... <laughs> recipes yeah sure and that's worth 12 billion dollars yeah from what i understand they have 250 million daily active users wow yeah so what are you doing with pinterest yeah i'm staying the hell away from it i'm staying clear away from it because i don't understand it i don't understand it and frankly every other um social media platform that's gone public has had a rough go of it. Well, let's compare it. Let's get, let's give it, let's try to dimensionalize it and give a little context to it. Okay. Pinterest valued at 12 billion, but would you say a comparable, let's say internet based social media IPO is Snapchat or as we like to call it Snapface. Yes. Was valued at 24 billion when it IPO. It's now about 12 billion. So do you feel like it's a fair comp? That it's on par with Snapface, which is uh, degenerate into nothingness. Um, as far as the number of daily active users, I think it's comparable. As far as how prominent it is, I mean, I've never encountered anyone who uses this. And unfortunately, I can't really compare the capabilities of the two because I have no idea what either of them is. But it, it's definitely much more comparable to a Snapchat than it would be a Facebook or a Twitter Certainly, certainly. A Mickey Mouse social media platform. Yes. Let's put this in the constellation of all the tech unicorns. So you got Pinterest, 12 bills. Lyft, 15 bills. Uber, 60 billion. Six, 60 billion with some aspirational numbers on their behalf where they think they can go at. Sure. Yeah. More of a black box. Here's what I'm getting at. If I put those three new listings in the constellation, you got to believe that Lyft, out of all three of those, is the one that's undervalued the most. Absolutely. You got uh, Pinterest making recipes and pictures. Lyft, which actually has a ride-sharing platform in the physical world, but only domestically, granted. And Uber at 60 to, we've heard, what? 120? 120 seems... Seems a bit cosmic. So, here's what I'd recommend. Lift. Go long. Help me make the case. 
uh, alongside the Amazons of the world, they're gonna they're gonna rule the world. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the ride sharing applications ride sharing is going to is going to take over. When you realize that financially it doesn't make sense to drive anymore, and inevitably. Well, it's never going to make sense for you to drive because you can't legally see. Uh, That's irrelevant. (laughs) It's irrelevant. Minor detail. Minor detail. (laughs) Um, No, but inevitably, these ride-sharing applications are going to delve into the world of autonomous vehicles, which are going to make the financials much more appealing than they are now. Mm -hmm. Yes, these things are worth many billions of dollars, but the financials behind them are absolutely atrocious. Oh, well, okay. Let's... Let's double-click on that for a second. So you have, on the one hand, the fundamental economic model, which is horrendous because right now, when you have humans in the ride-sharing ecosystem as the drivers, it's a variable-cost model, which, if you know anything about software, is a horrendous economic model to be in. Your revenue scales with your cost always, right? Right. Explain to us why, if we can get into an autonomous driving sphere, the economics would be highly to quite highly attractive. Well, if you get into the world of autonomous vehicles, you move into a fixed cost model where you simply put a ton of money into developing a fleet, put that fleet out into the market, and then... Amortize that shit into eternity. Eternity. And then... I think everyone thinks, or I believe this too, which is, in North America anyway, let's take North America in isolation, there is a price war happening between Uber and Lyft for market share. Right. Because right now, cool companies don't make money. Of course. No money whatsoever. Atrocious economics. Over time, there will be an equilibrium that will be reached where ride-sharing prices go up and approach something like the historical norms of the taxi business. But with the better user experience, the technology applications, and if you could have robots driving your cars around for you, all of a sudden you could spread all of that fixed cost around as many users as you can. Correct. Phenomenal. So, Lyft, the Lyft. IPO in 2019. Yeah. What should you expect, though? Along this road of value investing. First two years, what are they going to look like? Well, I would actually expect to see substantial appreciation in the stock of Lyft. Now, mind you... irrational. Completely irrational. But in the sense that a lot of these tech unicorns develop these irrational market caps, but eventually grow into them. Right? Very rarely do they go public with market caps that make any sense. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I don't own any stock at all. So every investment that I own is in the form of options. I would actually consider buying... Uh, because you're off the grid. Right. <laughs> yes. I would actually consider buying Lyft, for the, uh, Lyft stock for the long term because I do believe it's at least at a market cap of $15 billion, it's grossly, grossly undervalued mm-hmm. and it will inevitably take over the world alongside Amazon. Let me play devil's advocate. So, agreed. We're both going to take a flyer on Lyft and Uber simultaneously. Correct. Right? Correct. 
Uh, Pinterest, we'll leave it in the dust. Don't know what it is. Don't know who it is. Don't know why it is. Don't know what it does. Okay. Devil's advocate, advocate on Lyft in particular. Okay. If the capital fixed cost model autonomous driving economics are the future of the business, who is better positioned to take on that mantle? I think Uber is based on the partnerships they've made with Google to develop the technology, in which case Lyft ultimately could be driven out of business because they'll just fall behind this exponential development curve. They don't get into autonomous driving as readily as Uber will. I mean, the reality is the, the next two to three years are going to be key in determining who that leader is. Because right now, yes, Google has a partnership with, with Uber, but the reality is there's a handful of companies that are working to develop that technology. Tesla's working on that. GM is working on that. Apple was at one point working on that before they realized it's not going to work. But ultimately, whoever wins this race will own that market. And well, at a minimum, I would say, to that point, yeah, is the most likely destiny for Lyft, and this is the dream of all entrepreneurs, and better yet, degenerate entrepreneurs everywhere, that Lyft will get bought out by such a company or bought out by Uber in the interest of just monopolizing the interests at a hilarious premium, which, as a value investor, you will get paid out on if they're a public company. Yeah, that that would be the, the dream scenario. And it would make sense for somebody like an Apple to do it because they've obviously shown interest in that. Arguably Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so somebody like an Apple has already shown interest in that that realm of investment. So if all of a sudden uh, Lyft wins that race and develops whatever is going to be the autonomous technology of the future, I mean, Apple's sitting on a quarter trillion dollars in cash. It wouldn't be hard for them to just, you know, drop a few bills. And, and if they're smart, they know they're screwed. They don't know what it is right. that will screw them. But whatever the next smartphone is will drive them out of existence. It's almost like Apple... This is what I'd like to see Apple do. I think it's what you're getting at. They need to just become a successful version of GE. GE <laughs> did a bunch of mumbo-jumbo and got into, like, financialization, which is stupid. But Apple, if they could diversify into something like a future-looking... What you're getting at is uh, Lyft is a ride-sharing platform, but if they could couple that with a ride-sharing technology or navigation or autonomous driving technology, then it starts to look like a better picture for Apple, and then I might go along on Apple again. Yeah, it, it would definitely be a savior for both companies. It would make sense. But again, this is all dependent on whoever wins the race towards developing that autonomous vehicle technology. It's Google. Likely Google. Before we leave this, though, that that is the point I want to make because we have we have something really important to get into in the Degenerate Champion of the Week. But I think the most interesting thing about Google, ultimately, yeah. because at the end of the day, they are an advertising monopoly, and you could value invest in Google on the basis of them being an advertising monopoly. But better yet, all of the things that Google has hidden away in its little shop of R&D, one of which is autonomous driving, one of which might as, be, might as well be Mars exploration for all we know, 
one of those bets is going to pay off. No, that that's the beauty of a company like Google. They can drop you know a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there, and all they need is one of those one of those projects to take off. Just a million third round picks. Only one's got to be a Hall of Famer. All right, shall we move on? Oh, we shall. This week's degenerate champion of the week. Let me keep it in suspense because in a normal week, Robert, this would be a pretty easy pick. Yeah, and here's why I say that. Here we are. It's the middle of the week, Wednesday, end of day. You and I are talking to each other. I, I'm telling you, I got this. Degenerate pick of the week, Kevin Plank, the CEO of Under Armour, basically was harnessing company assets to carry on an open affair with an MSC, MSNBC anchor who none of us have ever heard of but is very attractive under the banner of corporate advisory. Mind you, Kevin Plank is already in the degenerate starlight. Because previous to this year, it was completely legitimate company policy at Under Armour to expense visits to the strip club. Good job by you, Kevin Plank. So, so again, to build suspense, how is this not... How could you top this, right? It could only be a historic summiting of the degenerate mountain. And here we are. Not to be outdone, Robert Kraft was charged with solicitation of prostitution after being, oh, not just charged, videotaped at a strip <laughs> mall massage parlor in Palm Beach County. Robert, we have reached soaring heights. I, I, I Honestly, I don't know where we go from here. Like, should we just retire this segment? Like, Well, I think no one knows this yet, but we will have an annual, you know, this week's Degenerate Champion award. For 2019, much I think like the Oscars. we have an early front runner for sure. Oh, front runner, right, it's a lock. I don't know how you can upset <laughs> this. You can't be done. And by the way, Kevin Plank had put himself seemingly in the stratosphere with his escapades, and then Robert Kraft comes along. Unlimited money, strip mall, massage parlor, happy ending. Good job by you, Robert Kraft. Uh, on the one hand, on the one hand, good job by you. <laughs> on the other hand, you couldn't do better than a strip mall. Come on, man. Well, I mean, to some degree, you have to ex- you have to respect the frugality of the practice. <laughs> or yeah, maybe that was his mistake, right? If you go high end, there's no surveillance there because they know the high end clientele. They've got to they've got to uh, escape the purview of the law. But these low rent places that that litter America and strip malls, as our sponsorship deal clearly said, mask all underground criminal activities (laughs) and he should have known that on on the flip side of that his wife's been dead for a few years the man's lonely i get it look he's going going hard in the paint six super bowls coming hot off of six (laughs) super bowls but money can't buy you happiness so do you think this is ultimately just uh a case of mere hubris it's like I mean, at the end of the... If you win six Super Bowls as an owner, mind you, he barely had anything to do with it. Sure. Sure. You win six Super Bowls, do you just start to think, I cannot be touched? No. Honestly, I think it's... The man is 77 years old and a billionaire. What is the worst that can happen to him? I think I told you today. He's not riding into the sunset. No, He's on... He is riding a rocket ship into the sunset. Absolutely. Good job by you, Robert Kraft. All right, let's move to Degenerate Stock Tip Corner because, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of luck, Robert. Just a little bit. 
You need a little bit of luck. You are three and zero technically on degenerate stock tip corner. I'm gonna let you do the analytics, but you're barely hanging on with your undefeated status, three and zero. Why don't you give us a breakdown of the numbers? Well, let, let me tell you something. The fact that I'm barely hanging on is irrelevant. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or by a mile. Winning is winning. <laughs> All right, so a few weeks ago, episode number one, I told I told our audience to buy Procter and Gamble. Uh, since then, uh, the stock is up seven point two percent versus the S and P up five point one percent, and the option being up forty percent. Solid win. Solid win. More than solid, I would say. Victory a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh, a couple weeks after that, or the following week, I said buy Cisco. Um, since that recommendation, the stock is up 6.1 versus the S&P being up 3.5 and the option being up 22. Admittedly, a little bit down from last week, but still. Still draining threes. Still draining threes. All right. Now. And then we get to uh, Aurora Cannabis. Strong scrape. Here we go. Oof. All right. So <laughs> I bought Aurora Cannabis on Tuesday when the market opened. Since then. The option is perfectly sorry. The stock is perfectly flat. Has it hasn't moved a penny? It went up a ton. It went down a ton. It ended perfectly flat. The S and P is up 0.6 percent. Okay. The option 1.3 percent. At a boy. So I don't know how I did this. By the way, some of you out there would say, "Hey, if uh, I bought the stock and it's underperforming the S and P, could count it as a loss." But mind you. I bought the option. You buy the option, and you tell people to buy the option. Because this is degenerate business school. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not just dealing with beta on inequity. I'm dealing beta upon beta. That's right. You are betting on a person betting at a craps table. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, 3-0. You know who else was 3-0? Tell me. Kobe in 2002. <laughs> now, am I as great as Kobe? Maybe. Maybe not. But... I think you'll get there. <laughs> All right, so my pick for this week is the... Wait, wait, hold on. Are you saying that Kobe... Kobe in 2002 was 3-0 in the finals? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's like, if he's just 3-0 to start like an 82-game regular season, what the hell does that mean? Sorry, in the finals. Kobe in 2002 in the finals was 3-0. Yeah, but similar to Kobe, you, uh, you you had Shaq on your team. I have you. (laughs) You have me. And I go hard in the paint with the best of them. You do, you do. I, I wouldn't. I don't know where I'd be without you. Uh, I do I, have a pick this week, actually. Oh, you have a pick. I do. I thought that we were just going to bask in the glory of your undefeated. No, status. no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm quadrupling down on this. Lay it on me, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, the Emerging Markets ETF ticker symbol EEM. 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 Uh, it's actually something I've held for some time, and now I'm ready to let the world know about it. Tell me. Um, the $42 strike call, again, January 2021, um, it's pricing it at $48. Mm-hmm. It's going to get there by August. I won't hold it till August, but it's going to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, actually, let me open this up because I, I wasn't even ready for this. I was just going to gloat. Um, currently trading at, give me a second, <coughs> excuse me, maybe it would help us if you, you know, could, uh, 
articulate what markets are emerging in this ETF? Or does it not matter? It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really, truly, honestly doesn't matter. But um, it's it's all emerging markets. So presumably China's a, oh, Asian markets are... Presumably BRICS. It could be. Uh, it's not important. But I have... I <laughs> what have, matters is that they emerge. $42 strike <laughs> call. Okay. Currently trading at $5.40, pricing it at $47.40. Okay. It'll get there by August. I'm still buying the January 2021 expiration. Mm -hmm. Buy it. Buy it. EEM. EEM. Ticker symbol EEM. Emerging market ETF. Correct. Now, uh, what I think we probably owe people in the future is an update on MJ. If you could buy it, how would you be doing? Didn't research it this week, but I will take on that update next week. It probably didn't go well for you. <laughs> I'm just going to guess. In any case, one more time, Robert. You're welcome, America. You're welcome. Toodaloo. Farewell. All right. <laughs>